Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Good evening and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, June 29, 2017. This is Michael Norris along with Bobby Simmons and Jerry Oates. And as most of our regular listeners probably know, and, uh, and for those that you don't know, uh, our uh, co-host Jay West, uh, we lost him last week. He passed away. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm still not over that. Uh, it's, it's weird. Last week's show, Jerry had already let me know that he wasn't going to be able to do the show, and then I didn't. I never did hear from Jay, which was was unusual because normally no matter how bad he was feeling he would let me know uh little did i know the circumstances that were going on behind that and then uh bobby was a little was running behind a little bit so by the time he he called in i had already decided not to do the show so which is just as well considering the circumstances behind uh losing jay and 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 bobby i i know you know, I hate to put this on you, but I know you have talked to his wife, Michelle, and everything. Can you give us any uh, info we, uh, as far as what actually happened? Well, first of all, uh, canceling the show last week wasn't a bad idea. We were in the middle of a hurricane up here. It was thunder yeah. and lightning, and That's it was true. bad weather. But anyway, uh, another thing, didn't you notice how well the music played tonight? I thought that was very appropriate. Uh, yeah, Jay's, Jay's looking right, over us came now. right on, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was it was a rather odd set of circumstances. We were, uh, I was sitting at home last Friday, and I got a phone call from uh, a friend of ours over in Selma, Alabama, and he asked me if I had seen been on on Facebook and saw Jay's website, and of course I hadn't. And he said, "Well, his daughter has posted that he passed away." Now, you know. You would immediately think that you'd just take that at face value, but of course I went to I became Dick Tracy and started making phone calls because too many times we've been we've seen things that were just untrue that people took for granted and ran with because they heard it from somebody else. But anyway, I finally was able to reach Michelle, his wife, about eight thirty Friday night last week. She said that. Uh, Due to Jay's back surgeries, he could not sleep in in a bed. He had to sleep in a recliner. And uh, she said that uh, on uh, Tuesday night of last week, she, he went to he was in his recliner, and uh, she said she kissed him goodnight and went to bed somewhere around ten o'clock. And said uh, uh, she got up the next morning about five minutes till six, which was uh, this was very normal for them because Jay, being military, he. He got up early every morning. She said she got up, and she came down and, you know, was going through the morning routine and hollered, Jay, it's time to get up. Uh, we've got to, uh, you know, get started. And said he did not respond, and she went over to him and realized uh, that sometime during the night Jay had passed. She said to tell everybody that knew him, 
that Jay passed away in his favorite recliner with his feet propped up, his head on the pillow, and his cat uh, by his side. And said when she found him, he had a smile on his face. So uh, I guess if uh, if if you've got to go, I guess that's that's a good way to go. And uh, Jay was uh, Jay was cremated per his request, and she said she will probably have a memorial service uh, at a future date, and she will make sure and let everybody know when and where. So uh, that's kind of what that's kind of what happened. It was just. Uh, he just died in his sleep. Did he have other complications, Bobby? You know, Jerry, I, I don't know. He Jay was much older than than people thought he was. Jay was in his seventies. Uh, he did not look it, and he didn't act it. But uh, you know, Jay was a little older than people thought he was, and he had just he had been very very. Uh, He'd been very, very feeble here the last, I guess, I don't know, six, eight months. Uh, uh, the breastbone thing was something I'd never heard of. Uh, I had never heard of that. Yeah, that was, you know, he just sat in the chair in the breastbone, you know. I mean, I, so I, yeah, well, there, there was, was probably other he things going me, on. By other he back, was suffering. He had with, back uh, issues for years. Yeah, and he, he was suffering from, um, well, what is it? Osteoporosis. Oh, yeah, osteoporosis, and that was that was causing his bones to be brittle, and that's that was part of what happened with his his breastbone, because his bones had gotten so brittle, and that's you know he was having to wear the back brace and everything, and uh, and then you know all that, you know the it all seemed to start when he had his little his his back issues going back like Bobby said six, eight months ago and then they were doing all that uh, uh what I what sounded to me like experimental surgery with all that stuff and it just you know, it led one thing to led to another as a result of that. It you know, he had issues with his legs and his feet and then, you know, it just it just went from there and uh well I tell you, it's just, you know he and I had had some conversations when he would call me to let me know he, whether or not he was going to be able to do the show, and, and just he just he went through a lot, a lot more than than he let on. <clears throat> and um, but I tell you, he was he was a a fantastic addition to this show, and he is sure, certainly going to be missed. I tell you, he um, he added a lot to this show, so. You know, one um, thing about Jay, Jay was a consummate professional. He took he took everything he did very seriously. Uh when he when he was working for when he was working for us as a ring announcer at the T V station and at the auditorium in Atlanta, he it was never there was never any ha ha you know, like some guys will do. He was very serious about what he did and he always wanted to make sure he did a good job. He was always prepared. And even with this show, he, you know, most weeks, guys, you know, we we uh, we're on a wing and a prayer, and we hope we we have a topic that that generates some <laughs> some conversation. Jay, he would he would find out what the subject was, and he would research it, and he would come Absolutely. up with these facts and these figures and these, and that all come back from being that that professional announcer 
that had to do that show prep because he was entertaining people and had to keep their attention. And yeah, you're right. He's he's going to be he's going to be missed. And and uh, he just uh, he was a good guy. And uh, you know, I just uh, need to remember his family and his his he had uh, his children were they were they were they were stepchildren, but but they were. Uh, I talked to his daughter and she said he was just. Uh, he he could have been no better than than any dad would have ever been. So uh, uh, a lot of talent left with him when it went, you know, in a lot of different areas. So uh, God bless him, and uh, uh, just uh, I don't know. I, I'm like y'all. It was just it happened all of a sudden. I, it's just hard to grab. But uh, I guess we have to. I will you know, say this so. Uh, Getting Jay West in the business was the one one good thing Charlie Smith ever did in his life. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, you're right. Jay, he was uh, he he loved to dig into stuff and and provide stuff. And he, even if we weren't talking about wrestling, his he was so varied as far as you know the things he was interested in. But the, the old. Uh, the old westerns and the, the the serials and stuff like that, like our friend Chuck Thornton and and everything, and uh, he was one of those rare people that got to live his dream after he come out of the military and everything. He uh, he was a wrestling fan, so he he got involved on the uh, as best he could in the wrestling business, but he was involved in it. But he also uh, spent many years as a as a musician, which he loved was involved with the radio business which he loved and uh so he was he he was one of those rare people that got to do with his life with what what he enjoyed doing and uh I've always heard it said if you, if you love what you do for a living you'll never work a day in your life and I think that 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 certainly applied to Jay West That's or Claude West I should say Claude Claude is how most people know him but we all know him as Jay but um Wonderful guy, and, and, and we loved him here, and uh, we're going to definitely miss him. So, well, you know, I told this story. We told the story, and I even got him to talk about it one night. But his temperament was so. Um, for those of y'all that were never around him, he, he was such a mild mannered guy. We, we come out of a we come out of a spot show one night in College Park or Forest Park, Georgia, and and some guy, and I don't even remember exactly how it happened. But they either the cars bumped or they got one guy got the guy got mad because Jay didn't let him out or thought Jay should have done I don't know the guy came out and came at Jay's car with a jack handle. I mean, come at the car hitting the windshield with a with a with a with a jack handle, and Jay just sat there and watched him. And the whole time Jay's watching him, he's got a three fifty seven Magnum laying on the seat next to him. Now. If a guy had come at one of our cars and we're sitting there with a pistol on the seat, I'm not going to say we'd have shot the guy, but we would have at least let him see it. <laughs> Jay never picked Play. it up. And, I, and I'll never forget Renesto walking over there, and he goes, Boy, he said, why didn't you shoot him? And Jay just, you know, he was so mild-mannered that he never, you know, he just, uh, now for the guy to got in the car, it might have been a different story, but just uh, that's the way he was. So. Well, speaking, speaking of good of that, folks, did y'all uh, see the news where the guy kicked the windshield out in Atlanta? 
Did they hey, show that down south, Jerry? I, I, I don't know about that, Bobby. There's a lady, this is about three or four weeks ago, a lady's coming out of a grocery store here in Atlanta, and she is sitting in the traffic light, and she had one of those dash cameras, you know, that they're selling now where you can, uh, you know, it films what's in front of you in case you're in an accident or something. Right. This guy's standing on the, comes around the corner, and he's walking up the little street there where she's at, and all of a sudden he takes off running, he jumped on the hood of her car, and he stomped her windshield out, or he cracked it all the way across just real good, then jumped off and walked off. And a woman didn't know him, didn't know nothing about him. And about a week later, they, they reported they had arrested him, that he didn't know the lady, that, you know, he couldn't explain what overtook him, and they had him in some mental facility here in Atlanta. But, I mean, <laughs> this guy just, just ran, jumped on top of the car, and kicked, stomped the windshield. How bad is uh, road rage up there? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, I mean, people are shooting everybody every day over nothing up here. It's crazy. I, I know, Bobby. It, the, the world it, it's is insane. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a. Uh, I'm sure some of it's road rage, and I wonder how many, how much of you know some of it's just sheer stupidity. And there's so much, there's so much, I mean, it's it's not all racial crime either. It's black on black and white on white. And, I mean, people are just, I mean, every night on the news there's two or three shootings. It's, it's that way everywhere. It's just, it's just you, you can't even believe it. No, and I, you know, it just... God, God forbid you get upset and say something to the person in the car next to you and get shot. I mean, it's I just try to mind my own business and go on about my business <laughs> the best I can. I was going to say that guy that that uh, that ended up in the mental institution. Maybe maybe he'll turn his life around. He'll start promoting wrestling matches in South Georgia somewhere. Well, that could work. <laughs> that could work. <laughs> Well, I mean, there well, must be some good, good drugs, people. Please. I am. Uh, let me get our guest on here. Uh, we're going to be uh, having as our guest this evening for as long as he can can stay with us. Uh, legendary uh, referee Scrappy McGowan. Scrappy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. How are how's everybody? Everybody's doing we're, well. Doing well. We're good. That's how's good. work holding up? You holding up all right? I'm. <laughs> I'm wearing out, but I'm holding up. It's my first week back, and uh, it's uh, they've taken it easy on me a little bit at work. You know, I don't I don't bounce around like I used to up there. But I just take my time and just stroll on through the plant. So there you go. All right, good. I think so. But uh, yeah, I'm you, doing you need real to get good. Get your scooter. Well, I had a scooter <laughs> a long time ago, and they finally got rid of them. They cleaned house, so it went to the junk pile. And uh, that was years ago. So, but uh, you know, we're still in business and we're still doing good. So, and I'm finally back at work, and I go back to the doctor on the July the 11th, and uh, that's when they go and plan the bypass surgery. I don't end up having for this heart attack I had. So, why don't you tell and, everybody about that? Because we haven't talked about it. A lot of people may not know what that went on. Scrap. Uh, uh June the 5th, and, uh, my wife, Ann, she was having uh, surgery, and uh, 
so we we took her to the hospital, and when we got to the hospital, uh, my re- left arm and chest started hurting real bad, and we just thought it was an anxiety attack, you know, her going back over for surgery, and uh, I fought it for about an hour and a half and everything, and a little uh, waiting room nurse come over there, and Jeffrey was with me, my son, and uh, <coughs> she kind of put her hand on my shoulder and everything and saw that I was soaking wet from sweat, you know, and everything. She went and got a wheelchair and told Jeffrey, says, let's take him to the ER. So off we went, and the time he signed me in, I was back there getting stripped down and IVs put in and uh, had a saw the – from that room, I went to the OR room, and uh, I remember seeing a bright light, but it wasn't into the tunnel. That was the good thing. <laughs> and uh, – <laughs> So next thing I know, I woke up in ICU, and I had a heart attack while I was there waiting on her. So she had surgery, was in one wing of the hospital, and I was had a heart attack, and I was in the other wing of the uh, hospital. So and it was uh, they didn't let her know I had the heart attack until about 12 o'clock that night after her surgery because she kept asking where I was at, and I wasn't coming around. So And then it was about 10 o'clock Tuesday night when I finally got to get up out of bed and take the wheelchair ride up there and see her, so, and everything, so, and that, you know, that was how it was, and we were to talk at the hospital for a while, I, that was all talking about I had to upstage her for her surgery, so, you know, <laughs> Could, I figured, okay, that's what I did. attention, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> and then I they put them in the I hospital on the other side of the world, <laughs> and me and Randy had to drive all the way across town to go out there and jump on him, because, if he'd have had this thing while he was with us, we'd, he'd have been like Billy the Kid. We'd have buried him out there in the middle of that desert somewhere and just put an X <laughs> on it or something, you know. Jeez. Uh, I know that's what we were talking about, you know. talking about uh, if this happened on the road, I'd been buried beside Billy the Kid probably. So. Yeah, we could have put him in that cemetery. That'd have been good. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. But well, at least they rolled you now. back in the emergency room, and they didn't load you out on the push you out on the loading dock like they did me one time I was in the hospital. <laughs> I called Bobby and I said, "Guess where I am?" And he said, "Well, I said I'm out on the loading dock." <laughs> they they were the the emergency room uh, was so jammed up they didn't have any room for me, so they they put me on a gurney and pushed me out on the loading dock. Oh God, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> I'd have had to have laid there and pulled that cover over my head and dared somebody to come over and see what it was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they pulled a sheet back and scared the heck out of them. I thought about doing that, but then I was afraid they'd, they'd kick me out of the hospital before I'd get a, get a chance to have done what I needed to have done. But, uh, well, uh, <clears throat> we would, uh, I want to, Tell Bobby and Randy if he's listening. I know Charlie's listening and all, but that was the best two-week road trip I've ever been on in a long, 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 long time. We, had, I think, we had the most fun on that road trip we took out to Vegas and everything. So. We did. We had a, we had a real good. It was it was a it was a fun two weeks, and uh, we didn't fuss at each other. We didn't cuss each other out. It was really we got along real good. And and the tireder we got coming back, the sillier we got. So it was uh, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we did. You know why why that fun. worked out so well, don't you? Because Mr. Smith flew. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been it. <laughs> uh, 
you didn't have to repeat everything you said four four hundred times. <laughs> what? <laughs> huh? uh, I tell you, you know, Gene Bennett with us and everything. I learned more country music and everything. <laughs> who who played in what band? Who did this and everything else? You know, so can't tell you who it all was, but we listened. It was fun. We had a good time. Yeah, and I wasn't able to make that trip, but maybe well, the I'll tell you something else well, too. Scrappy got a new nickname. I call him MacGyver. He got more gimmicks than than anybody you have ever seen in your life. He got. <laughs> Did he? We was, and then he outdone me from when I was with the circus. Bobby got in oh, my car one time. I had so much stuff stuck on my dashboard. Uh, yeah, oh but you know, this is the kind of stuff that you know people ain't supposed to have. We was oh. in the hotel room, and and the, and the, the it, it was the air conditioner was running, but the room wasn't getting real cold, it, and we didn't couldn't figure out why. And Scrap said, "I got it." He goes in his bag and he pulls out these giant clothespins, and he goes over and he pins the curtains up so that it doesn't hang down over the air conditioner. It got so cold in there. Randy went to bed that night and he said, "My nipples are froze." <laughs> it got that cold, so you know. And then, and then we were. Randy said, "You know, Randy has to take those breathing treatments." And he said, "You know," he said, "I got to try to find me one of these battery operated ones where I can can use it, uh, you know, in the van when I need to." Scrap said, "I got you covered, bud." He pulls this gimmick out. You plug into the to the cigarette lighter, and it's a power inverter. You plug it in the cigarette lighter, and then you take the electric machine and plug it into the end of the plug. And it draws, it makes an electric current. Randy going down the road using his breathing thing, you know. So he, I mean, he had anything you could imagine in that bag. I'd been afraid to look in there. <laughs> you can tell somebody spent their whole life on the road, can't you? Well, he, no, he, he, no, he, he told the truth. He said he goes camping and he's got kids. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. You learn from the camping trips. <laughs> you pack everything you can. <laughs> You, you get out of the box every once in a while. Ooh. Well, Scrappy, don't you uh, give, uh, of course, most of us all know, but for our for people that are listening to our show, um, give us uh, a, a, a little background on how you got in the wrestling business. Um, of course, your your father was the, the legendary Charlie McGowan, um, who was, Lord, Charlie did a little bit of everything. I know he was, he was timekeeper, carried the ring. A little bit of everything, and uh, so that was your your entrance in. But but I'll let you take it from there. Uh, well, uh, you know, at the city auditorium downtown Atlanta, you know, we sold, you know, met Red, and we sold programs, and then we, you know, then I ushered at the auditorium, and uh, and then we got on, you know, started hauling the ring and putting the ring up at the TV station, and started traveling that way, and. Uh, and then when Randy and I took the ring down to uh, Albany, Georgia one night, and uh, I think it was Billy Starr at the time just breaking in and all, and he was refereeing, and uh, he was late getting to the town. And old Jim Carlisle come over there and told, asked me, he said, Scrappy, can you referee? I says, never done it before. And he says, well, you're going to get a chance tonight, you know, because uh, Billy's running late. And I said, all right. He said, you got any you – know, you got a plain white T-shirt? I said, yeah. I said, I got a T-shirt in the truck. So my first match was uh, in blue jeans, t- tennis shoes, and a white T-shirt. 
And uh, what year got was back that to the crappy? God, that was in '78, uh, I think it was. And uh, when I got back to the office the next morning, uh, Jim Barnett said, uh, "Mr. Scrappy, I heard you refereed last night." I said, "Yes, sir." He goes, "How'd you like it?" I said, "It was fun. I liked it." And uh, he said, "Okay." And Oli was the booker and all, and they, so they gave me another opportunity and started working with me and everything. And you know, the rest is history. And you know, I just came on up and I listened to everybody. Listened to you know Jerry Oates and I listened to just about everybody that was in the ring with me helped me out. They was you know back then there was no uh, ego people out there like they are today and and everything. They was all willing to help. So you know, which I had a lot of help. You know, Charlie, Bobby, uh, Doug, uh, Doug Smith, Ronnie West especially, and uh, you know just the guys helping me out. So I mean. And you you not only worked Georgia, but I know you worked for ended up working up uh, in the Carolinas for Crockett's. You worked for Fuller down around uh, Mobile, Dauphin, Pensacola area, and you spent some time in Tampa. Yeah, I worked um, for Dusty down in Tampa, and you know in that area, and uh, went you know like you said went to Alabama and down in that area worked with the Fullers, and you know, so I got a lot of. On the road experience, on the road training, I guess you'd call it, or job on the job trainings. But yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was exciting and all. Then I went to uh, Japan uh, back in the early '80s for Mula over there with the girls and stuff. So, and that was a trip. I had the opportunity to go, and I took the trip. So, you know, because I figured I would never get to go overseas like that. You know. And everything. So me and Wendy Richter and Leilani Kai was over there together. So and worked with nothing but the girls. And we had uh, four little uh, midgets, I guess, or short people. And uh, you know that worked with us. And we was all on a bus together. And you know traveling through those little roads on, over in Japan was it was a little exciting because I had to sit up front in the bus and watch the driver drive. You know. And, I thought we ran over fifteen thousand people the way he was driving. So, <laughs> you know, on those little back roads and stuff in those little towns, you know. So it was exciting. I had I had a lot of fun. And a lot of people don't realize that Japan has that that as big as wrestling is over there for the men. They have their own women's league. It's strictly strictly women, and they've and that that dates back to. Probably the sixties. Um, I don't know, Jerry. You all the times you went over. Did they ever have mixed cards with girls on no. the cards with the guys? Not not our cards, no. But it was strict, we, strictly we, different different leagues. Yeah, it was. They had their own. It was, you know, it was like New Japan, All Japan. They had their own. I don't know when Scrappy was there, how it was, but. Yeah, that's the way it was. was all Japanese girls when I was there. And let me tell you, those girls can work. They are. Oh yeah. And they're they're just they're nothing like you know, and not knocking Mula's girls, but as far as you know, the way they worked and the and the the actual working experience, these those Japanese girls work circles around them. I mean, of course, I'm sure they're trained just like the men are. They're in some dojo somewhere, and they they start as, you know, 
towel boys or towel girls or whatever, and then they have to work their way up, and they spend years doing that. So, <clears throat> but um, that's uh, even to this day, those those girls over there are probably better workers than than ninety percent of the guys that are in the business in the states. Yeah, well, you know, we didn't do no big arenas and everything for the first. I was there for about six weeks, and the first four weeks that uh, I was there, we did outside shows. They bring trucks in, and they put a wall up around it in a like a baseball field kind of place, or you know, out in the field, and bring their little generators in and run lights, and they'd have their own little concession stands and stuff. And we'd dress on the bus and shoot for the first four weeks. It was like it rained every night, and you know, we used to wear those knit pants and everything. They get wet and just stretch, and. Uh, <laughs> Had a plastic mat, you know, that and everything. To, you know how I used to slide down and make the count and everything. And heck, I slide out in the mud several times, <laughs> and catch them step on the rope and stuff. So you know, but yeah, the, the girls part was, you know, they were real popular because they'd have sellouts every night in these little outfields, you know. So, but yeah, it was, you know, it was interesting how they did it. But they, you know, we all made money. That's the main thing. Yep. Let me give you a, let me give you a story a, a dry. He's talking about being on the road. Uh, they Doug Smith came to me and he said, he said I want you to start taking Scrappy with you. And I said, all right. And uh, <laughs> you gotta we gotta we gotta go back. You know he talked about the city order club and all that stuff. You know he was an obnoxious little punk when he was a kid. You know he was twelve and thirteen. He had that long blonde hair and all them little old girls thought he was was gorgeous. And crap, he thought he was gorgeous. You know I mean you couldn't talk to him. So, anyway, they say, won't you start taking him? So, he rode with us a while, and then Doug comes to me, and he goes, I want you to let him start driving some. So, I said, okay. So, here again, we were going to Albany, Georgia on a Tuesday, and it was raining. So, I got us outside of Atlanta, and I pulled over under a bridge down on 75 somewhere, and I said, okay, scrap, here you go, bud. And he got in the, he got in the driver's seat, and it, it was pouring down rain. And we pulled back out on the interstate, and there was a huge tractor-trailer in front of us. And I told Scrappy, I said, now watch that truck. He said, what truck? <laughs> I said, pull right back over under this next bridge over here. <laughs> and that was the extent of Scrappy's driving. Uh, <laughs> I thought, if he can't see that truck, I'm not riding. Uh, <laughs> we was going to uh, Thomaston one time in the ring truck. You know, uh, Randy was with me, and... Uh, my dad and Red, I guess everybody knew Red. He used to sell programs and put the ring up and stuff. But uh, we was getting off at Terra Boulevard to go down toward Thomaston down 1941, and a Trans Am pulled out in front of me. And uh, I hit the brakes and everything, and every steel piece came off the top of that truck, especially the guy that's Trans Am and everything, you know, the back window out, the spoiler across the back of it and everything. I got out, and we all got out, and... Said, uh, you know, I whistled for the guy. I said, hold up, we'll call the police. And the guy said, heck no, my car's all right. And he took off. <laughs> and the, and the uh, I said, okay. But the funny part of that was we had to spare a tire on top of the truck. And it came off also, and it rode right down with because we was in traffic. And it rode down about five cars, made a left hand turn in front of the cars, and came another left turn and came back up to us almost before it fell over, before it hit anything. <laughs> that was the funniest thing. We all laughed about the tire and everything laughing at the guy because he took off in the Trans Am. But that was funny with the tire, though. <laughs> Randy still talks about that tire. 
Yeah, Randy says Randy said the guy was either illegal, was wanted by the police, or or uh, had a stolen car. He said because this <laughs> tore that car up all the people. People that didn't know our ring truck, we had a rack built on top of it, and all the metal pieces went on top up over the cab. So when it come off, it slid off the, the whole length of the truck and then tilted down and went through the guy's window. He said, oh, yeah. He said he just he pulled that stuff out of his car and said, I'm fine, and took off. <laughs> Sixteen foot of metal. <laughs> so out of all that, I'm going to put you on the spot, Scrappy. Out of all the matches that you worked, um, is there one or two that that stick out as as your favorite matches, or you felt you you did the best in, or enjoyed the most? Well, I think the uh, the I guess the Flair and the Backlund uh, show in Atlanta for the uh, in '83 and uh, July. I guess you know that's when WWF came down. You know, Bob Backlund against Flair. You know, for that title match there, you know, both titles on the line, and being able to hold both belts up at the same time was, you know, was kind of an honor, you know, to get called that match and stuff, so, but the, uh, I think the feuds between Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer was probably some of the best matches, too, that we had, you know, the I Quit match, you know, and the Omni in the cage and stuff, so. Yeah. But, uh, we, go ahead. Hey, I was going to say, do you know whether or not? Because I think by the time that that took place, Bobby, you were gone from from. Yeah, uh, I was gone. You were out of the business by that time. Um, you know, the rumors always been out there as whether or not that that last battle of Atlanta, that cage match, whether it was ever filmed or anything. Do you have any idea, Scrappy? No, I sure don't. If Foley ever filmed it, I I don't think he did. I'm not positive, but he he could have, and you know, but I don't remember it. Chances of that thing being filmed are probably slim and none. And here's the reason why. You had to bring Eric Soley up from Florida to shoot the film with a camera. Well, Ronnie learned how to use the camera a little bit, too. But when you shot, those matches that were filmed at the Omni were done on 16-millimeter film, and it was done with a handheld camera. Uh, Even if you see any of the, the, when the title changed hands, when Dusty uh, won the title in Atlanta from Harley, that was shot on that on a 16 millimeter handheld camera, and uh, you had to take it to the studio to the, uh, to the to use it on TV the next day. You had to take the film over to the developing house that night, pay premium dollar to have a technician stay there all night and develop it, and then have it ready to go the next morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so chances of that being filmed are probably slim and none because Ollie wouldn't spend the money to do that. Yeah, I understand that. Well, I know one match is probably not your favorite. It was Les Thornton and Mike Graham at Gasparilla in Tampa. Isn't that the one where you got hurt? Yeah, that's the one I got hurt and hurt my knee on that one. And because uh, I was supposed to go back out and do the, I think it was the Don Morocco match, and I forgot who he was working with, and didn't get to go out there and do that one, but because my knee was swelling up. But uh, the uh, you know the war you know I was involved in the very first war games you know with Tommy Young and and everything so you know in Atlanta and the Army so 
And then the Night of the Sky Walk was the first scaffold match with the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express. And I you know that uh, Cornette got his knee blowed out. So yeah. But that was you know uh, I met a guy when we was in Vegas that uh, his name was Malcolm, and <laughs> he was he was. Uh, he, he told me matches that you know that he saw that I was involved with, and I, I didn't remember, you know, with Dick Slater and Ray Candy and stuff like that. And I was like, "Geez, I can't remember all those like that." And he was, "Oh yeah, he's got video of them, and he watches them all the time." But it, what a super nice guy he is. He's from Minnesota, nicest guy you'd ever meet, and he knows more about Georgia wrestling than than we do. He told oh, really? Steffi, he said, he said, "What did you think about the match between?" He called two names. Scrappy said, I don't believe I did that one. He said, oh, yes, you did. I watched it this week. I've got the video. <laughs> I mean, he he knew what towns we ran, uh, what days they were, and, he's, and he, he came down. I forget what year he said he came down. He came down for like a week and went to the matches every night. But he's just he's just a fan, and he, yep. and he, he loves he loved, he loved Atlanta, loved Georgia. What about that back in those days? That cable carried so well. I mean, that was, you know, that was, in my opinion, and I think all of our opinions, that that was that was the highlight of of Georgia. That that time period from seventy eight, seventy nine into, well, really right up until, you know, Black Saturday when uh, Vince showed up at the studio. Were you there that then, Scrappy? Yeah, I was there the day uh, he came in and uh, had uh, Monsoon with him and uh, walked through like he was the, you know, the biggest wheel there ever was. And uh, he uh, kind of just took over a little bit. But, you know, we went ahead and did our show. Then uh, I think we ran Macon one night, and that's when uh, I think they finally said, they, you know, McMahon was buying it all out or buying it out and taking it over. And uh, you know, you can see the look on Ralph Reed's face, and that you know the den was coming, you know. So, but yeah, he was he walked through the door, and you know, like he owned the place already. So up there at Channel Seventeen. So now I know Charlie Staten did some some of the TV um, tapings with him. Did you did you stay on with him, or did you go somewhere else? No, I, I didn't. I didn't do nothing with him. And also, I know Charlie did. I think he worked some spot shows for them too when they did something. Yeah, he did. He he worked. Uh, I think that first Saturday they actually did matches here in Atlanta. It might have been the only Saturday they actually did matches here. Charlie refereed both hours that day, and then that night I think he went to Jacksonville because uh, uh, either Patterson or Scarpa was the road agent, and uh, they took care of him a little bit. So, uh, but that was. You talking about him walking through like he owned it? He did. <laughs> Just nobody he did knew it. Time. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> nobody knew it at that time. Yep. So. You said Ralph was there. Was Ole there that day that he came down? Uh, can't recall if he was there or not. I know Ralph was there at the TV station when he did it. Yeah. So I can't remember if Ole was there or not. 
Did you work for, uh, I can't remember if you worked for Ole when he restarted with. uh, Yeah, I worked for, yeah, I went, I worked for Ole when he restarted up and everything. And, uh, you know, uh, dang, I can't remember who all we had at the time. But, you know, we was running regular, you know, like uh, making at the time and uh, some, you know, other little shows and stuff that he was doing, trying to get. Well, that's when that's when you came back and started working part time, wasn't it, Jerry? Yeah. So who that was you? You you were there. Ted was there. Rip Rogers, Garvin. I think Bundy was there. The Road Warriors. Pez Watley. There was there was a handful. I mean, there was a good crew there. It's just Ole couldn't. By the time he finally got settled into a decent, you know, TV slot and and. You know, because didn't they didn't they initially record the first shows in Macon? Was it at Macon TV studio, and then then they went to Columbus and were doing at this sport uh, sports arena there in Columbus? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I Before think they happened. They got, and then, of course, and Bill Watts had had bought an hour, um, and so you know, Ole was they were showing Ole show at like. 6.30 in the morning and stuff like that until Turner finally got told Vince if he, if he was only going to send him tapes, he wasn't going to give him the time slot anymore. And then that's when Ole went back in. By, by that time, the horse was out of the barn and they'd lost so much of the audience. How much longer did that run? A year? It ran a while. Or was it even that long? Yeah, it was longer than that. Was it? We, yeah, we, we were doing we the tours up in uh, Ohio again at that time. We were exactly right. Because I know we flew back into Atlanta. I don't know what morning that was. We had, I don't know where we'd been up north somewhere. And I was walking with Ole, and here comes Geraldo uh, uh, Rivera. And Ole said, I guess, that's when Mansfield had done his thing and all that crap. And so... Ole stopped Rivera and said, I guess you're looking for me. He said, no. He said, I know who you are. And we, you know, we shook hands and all that crap. He said, no. He said, I'm going to tap on something else. And I was into that. But, yeah, but we, we ran a while. We still, we, like Scrappy said, going up north. and We're still running Columbus, Macon, Albany. Yeah, we ran for a while. But, you know, I, I, get, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Because uh, that's where uh, some of the guys tore up the Cadillacs and stuff that we used to get. It was up in Ohio area or Michigan area that we was going up to. Well, you some know. of that some of that happened before I left. You know, that's one of the that's one of the last things. That was one of the last straws that got me. You know, I got that call about two in the morning, and a couple of them had drove one of them Lincoln Continentals down the down the railroad track. Yeah. Tore the tie rods ends out from under it, and just you know. But yeah, I, yeah, the, the, I heard that they tore some cars up too after with Ole had it, and you know, the rental car companies got to where they didn't want to give them cars. I wonder why. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. See that? See that's when I went. That's when I started going up on the tours. Was right after that incident because uh, one of them got fired, I guess, or and everything, and that's when they yeah. uh, Ole brought me back in. So yeah. that was when I started coming back. It was that was a that was some 
Well, you know, I know at one time Ole was filming. They were doing some filming up around Chattanooga, too, because he hired Bill Dundee to do some booking for him or something. And he was trying to run a yeah, northern end. He tried to do that uh, Superstars of, of Georgia Championship or whatever he was calling it that time, Championship Wrestling from Florida, Georgia. And yeah. uh, he was kind of doing using Jarrett's guys, and, and Dundee was booking. I think that lasted a month or two. It didn't last long. Cause it's yeah, just, well, you know, Ole wasn't going to give nobody free reign to do anything, and, you know, that, right. that was. Well, not that, but, you know, you can't really blame Ole because, you know, Georgia had built up such, such a reputation and with, with the type of, you know, work they were doing and everything, and then bringing, you know, that Memphis crew with garbage cans and, you know. All that weird stuff, I and mean, you can't hardly blame him there. I know when when Bill Dundee did our show, he was saying that if Ole had let him run with it, he could have made a lot of money. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, there's no there's no telling what would happen, or what would happen. Because that's that's pretty much where Jim Cornette got his start. Was you know. Because Jimmy Hart was the main manager over in, in Memphis, and you know they really didn't have much for for Cornette to do, so they sent him over to uh, work this, you know, the the Georgia Chattanooga deal. And uh, I don't remember. I know he was there. For, I think I want to say Frank Morrell was involved. There was a bunch of bunch of Tennessee guys that were they weren't using a whole lot on the Memphis end. That you know, that they started using maybe Bobby Fulton and Terry Taylor. I think they were uh, like a knockoff of the the fabulous ones. They were called the Fantastic Ones or something like that. It, but like I said, it didn't last all that long. Yeah, because they sent me up to uh, Knoxville and worked that Knoxville area that one time with uh, Louis Tillette was running it for for Barnett and everything, and. Uh, you know, we, I was up there during the big feud that we had, you know, going on with everybody at the same time. So, uh, you know, we we, I think about a year ago we ran up there. It was about a year. If I'm not mistaken, but it could, could have been less than that. But and then everybody just kind of dispersed and came back to Atlanta. Well, well, that's a that's a, that's a prime example of how how you can you can think you're so smart and totally destroy a, uh, the goose that was laying the golden egg. It, it, that little yeah. territory up there was making tons of money. The tr- the longest trip was Harlem, Kentucky, and that was on Saturday. And and I mean the guys wasn't leaving. You didn't have to leave home till six thirty quarter to seven to make the towns. And everybody was making money, and all of a sudden they decided they wasn't making enough and. That group split off and just killed that whole territory. It didn't take long yeah. either. No, it did not. No. You can't, you know, it just wouldn't. Uh, how Georgia did it for as long as it did with, you know, Dunkel and it was amazing. It was amazing. That whole area up there in East Tennessee, I mean, there were so many different 
people over the years, and Bo James is the expert on that because he's written, you know, done a lot of research and written a lot of books about that end of it. I mean, Knoxville alone, I mean, that was, you know, most people lump it in with Goulas and all that, but Knoxville was actually until, up until Fuller bought it, it was its own little territory. Um, and then off from Knoxville was, was the Tri-States area, or, or Tri-Cities area, Bristol and uh, um Kingsport, you know, that was, that was a little a little territory by itself. So, I mean, a whole lot of money could be made in the wrestling business back in those days. It's just, you know. Has, any, has anybody, you mentioned Bo, James, has anybody seen this thing that's, that has went absolutely viral, the progressive liberal wrestler? No. Has anybody mm-hmm. seen that? No. There's a guy up there. You know, Bo runs a little promotion up there called Appalachian Wrestling in Kentucky. And he's got this guy up there that works for him. His name's Doug something. And and Doug is a he is a staunch Democrat. Bo said it's an extension of this guy's real life. But the guy came up with the idea evidently a couple of years ago for this gimmick and and, and he didn't really know how to do it and, and Bo evidently helped him frame this thing. And what he does, he 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 said it just exploded when Trump won the presidency. This guy goes out and he wears a Hillary T-shirt, and he is he's just a progressive liberal, and he spouts these over-the-top interviews. And, and as Bo says, it's an extension of himself. So the guy's very believable. He he's up there telling these guys, you know, them people in Kentucky, look, when hey, when Hillary comes back, and wins next time. We're gonna come in here and take your guns away from you. We're gonna outlaw guns. We're gonna. Well, somebody picked up a, 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 one of the interviews off of that little cable show they do, and posted it on 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 the internet, and it went absolutely crazy this week. In in 24 hours, they got 19,000 hits on a YouTube video of this guy being interviewed. Huh. Today. Today they're up there. The HBO has flew a crew in, and they're following Bo and this guy around today. The guy did interviews today. I talked to Bo about five thirty. The guy did interviews today with Fox News and with MSNBC. Uh, HBO's followed them around all day tomorrow, and then tomorrow night they're running some town. They're going there. Also tomorrow night, supposedly in this town, is going to be cameras from NBC. Uh, uh, BBC and somebody else. Sports Illustrated next week is supposed to have an article about this guy, and the uh, if, uh, he he told me today he said if everything comes together they're going to New York to do the Stephen Colbert show. They're actually going to do a match on that thing, you know, all because this guy somebody seen his interview and they went crazy. Jeez, it doesn't take so, much to be a star anymore. You can look at well, the music business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's just he told, I, I told him, my only piece of advice I gave him was, you better do something about copywriting because if it's that much of a success, Vince will steal your gimmick. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. But I don't know if he could steal that one or not since his wife is in the cabinet or whatever she is for Trump. I don't know if you could actually, you know, they, they try so hard not to offend nobody. <laughs> uh, 
I think when it comes to the dollar, he doesn't. He gets blind to stuff like that, though. If he thinks he can make a dollar off of it. <laughs> that is true. Well, how long did? When did you quit refereeing full time, Scrappy? Uh, God, when was it? Uh, in eighty. I want to say eighty-five. When I finally. Uh, cold turkey, I guess, and everything, and broke down and got a real job in '85. So, uh, I was gonna say you've been where you are now for a long time. I've 32 years now, so uh, and everything now. I'm, uh, See that, Mr. Fourth Smith? And, it can I'm, be done. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, I'm, I'm the fourth seniority person in the company now, so and everything. So and. uh only reason is one guy, one guy, uh, one of the older guys retired earlier this year, so that moved me right up the ladder. But, also, but uh, I think it was the best thing I I did. You know, I had got a family and settled down and and uh, was doing it part time for Crockett. And he asked me one time. He said, uh, him and Dusty said, "Are you ready to come back on the road?" And I said, "Nope, sure ain't. I like being at home every night and everything, and not out of a suitcase." And plus he had Tommy. Plus he had Tommy Young as you know senior referee and everything. So, but uh, yeah, he asked me if I was ready to come back. All that bit was you'd get all the small towns every night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the long trips. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You would have become very intimate with Norfolk and Richmond and. Uh... <laughs> yeah, but I, Greensboro, uh, you know, I, I turned it down and Greenville. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was the best decision I ever made, I think, you know, staying with my job and and all, you know, the benefits and everything I got. So I'm happy. I told Scrap one you time. Still, you I, still I, worked around here. You worked with when when Jody had Deep South and all. Did you work any of those when, or with Blackwell and any of those groups? No, I didn't work. No, I didn't work with Blackwell. I worked for uh, well, I didn't work for Jody until he uh, had the school for the for the feds and everything for the WWE over here in McDonough. And I uh, went by and saw him one day, just sitting there talking to him, and he asked me if I could still work, and I told him, yeah. But before all that, uh, let me say this. Uh, Jerry Oates gave me my first start again uh, when I came down to Columbus and saw Jerry one time, and he asked me the same thing. And uh, and also that's how I got my start back into the business. Uh working those Columbus shows, which was fun. I mean, Jerry had a heck of a show down there. Heck yeah, of a that was setup a great setup down there. Yeah, it was a great setup, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. And uh, Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, I, hate, I hate to have to introduce you to, to the situation that I was caught up in with those thieves. Yeah, was, I understand. But anyhow, that was, yeah. it was a good deal. Yeah, it was. I, I, I really enjoyed it, and thank you a lot for letting me get back in there. I know the first night I, I went down and worked for Jerry again. Uh, I hadn't been in the ring in, I don't know, 20 years, I guess, and uh, I had all six matches. And uh, we was uh, – you, you wasn't blowed up, was you? 
Oh, first match I came back, Jerry said, what are you doing back? I said, I'm, I'm blowed up. I'm tired of <laughs> and everything. And I was like, oh, and he goes, well, you got to get back down there. So I back down there, I went, you know, and I was like, Jesus Christ. I ain't never been so blowed up in my life. But I had fun, and it was a, you know, great setup. And Jerry was a great guy, and, you know, he's uh, was a great boss, too. So, you know, running that show, I mean, I, you know, it was just like old times again. Had fun. Dressing rooms were good, you know, guys and stuff. So, had a good group of guys there too, you know, except for the other ones. Drake knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was uh, what a good thing, and you know, it was a shock to to go back and do that with the way things had changed. You know, mm-hmm. you know guys didn't even know what you were talking about. You know? I was going to say, you tell a story, scrap about the guy with the Broadway. <laughs> oh God, Jerry told me uh, the guy was running late. I ain't gonna call no names out on the on the phone, but uh, the guy was run, running late to the show that day. And uh, Jerry told me what was doing, and uh, I said, "All right." And so when the guy got there and everything, I told him, "I said we're going Broadway," and he goes, "Okay." And we was back there and getting ready to go to the ring and everything. He said, "Scrappy," I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Uh, what's a Broadway?" I'm going, okay, he's working me. So I said, okay. I said, uh, you don't know? And he goes, no. I said, it's a street up in New York City where they do big plays. And uh, everything he says, no, I'm, he's, I'm serious. I'm, I'm I'm serious. What's a Broadway? Then I thought, okay, maybe he don't know what a Broadway is. So I told him and everything. He goes, oh, okay. I said, you understand now what it is? He goes, yeah. I said, okay. So we went out there and did our match. <laughs> but I thought, my God, this guy, you know. Ended up being a superstar, you know. But I wonder if he'd yeah, understood if you'd have told him you're going, you're just going to go through. He'd have understood that part of it. <laughs> Don't count on. Don't count on. Go through what a wall or what? They, 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 they. I thought that was. I thought that, that was. mean I climb to the top up. rope and go through the mat? Yeah. Go through I a table? Talking, I thought I was talking Greek to those guys for six months out there. My gosh. <laughs> Uh, I think I you know, the, things we things we took for granted. These guys don't know how these new guys. They don't have a clue. They don't. You know, I would ask them. You know, how, how long you been been in the wrestling business? Oh, six years. Really? I said, how many matches you had? Eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is wrestling, not boxing. And it was really, it was really it, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it, it, it was so hard to get talent. I mean, it was just, you know, and everybody thought they was a superstar by then because they had worked for WCW or this one or that one, and I'm going, you know, it was just, it was like pulling teeth, you know. But we, we did, we had some good talent. I mean, you know. Yeah, you, you did. You had a good crew there at one time. Yeah, it, it worked out all right. It was a fun group, you know. So, like you said, you had some uh, some of them guys later on was uh, you know got their little egos and you know their little pushes and stuff and you know and they thought they was they thought they was it and I'm going huh, no y'all ain't it guys you know. <laughs> mm. Is that my cue? <laughs> no, that's, just, no, no that's, that's my that's my clock letting us know it's nine o'clock. 
you know the you know you talk about we talk about these guys don't know this you know something that that people never get I don't know if any of you guys are on any of these websites or anything one of the big things they're doing on some of these websites now they'll post a they'll post a fictitious match and they they'll say uh just pulling names out of there they'll say in their prime Buzz Sawyer against uh um, uh, Moose Cholock, who you got? You know, mm. well, I, I was sitting here one day, and I don't even remember what I was doing, but somebody posted something, and I finally just, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, this is crazy, and I posted whoever the booker wanted to go over. I mean, <laughs> these people just don't realize, you know, well, they you have, know better than you know they have fantasy. They have fantasy wrestling leagues just like fantasy football. It drives me up a up a wall. They especially when they hit on a territory, they'll they'll build a territory like, you know, the Gulf Coast territory, and they'll have uh, the Gulf Coast uh, cruiserweight television champion. I'm like, who in the hell came up with such as that? You know, it's just, but it's you know, it's these fantasy bookers <laughs> making up stuff that never existed and all this other stuff. But you know. It irritates me, so I, I avoid all that stuff. I, I do too. I just want yeah. not look at none of that. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I think the last show I ever went to was the Charlie Smith Appreciation, you know, up there in Monroe. I think Bobby was Bobby was there, and yeah, and uh, we did the uh, referee outside the Battle Royal and everything, and that was that was it for me. I. I Never been back to a show. I don't watch it on TV, and uh, you know, so I just kind of went wash my hands again. Really. Well, it, it, I just get frustrated when I go, and and I, you know, your mind, your mind says, "Oh, I can do that much better than they can." You know, I, I mean, I, I can, I can do this, and then your body goes, "No, you can't." Scrappy's talking about getting in the ring. Uh, uh, after 20 years, I don't know about him, but they, we were at a, the Ted, one of the Ted Allen Memorial shows they did, and they introduced everybody, and they wanted us to go out and get in the ring. That's the first time I had been in a ring in, in oh, t- at least 20 years. I felt like one of them seasick uh, uh, people on a ship. I got in the ring, and it just I, it, it felt foreign to me. And that just told me I ain't got no business in here. <laughs> well, let me let me back up for a minute. I told a lie because the last matches I went to was when we was in Vegas. Oh yeah, well, if you can if call you, it matches. It, well, yeah, because you know certain things stuck out to me, and you know, with the little referee with the little flat top head do and the red suspenders on and the red bow tie part of the show oh, and yeah. everything instead of doing the thing, you know, it was just stuff like that that. I guess it just it drove me crazy and everything, and I was like, oh, I can't do this no more. Don't want to be a part of it. Jerry, nope. you'll appreciate this. The guy he's talking about, they had a match between some. I don't. He he was a glorified midget with a mask on, and it wasn't really a mask. He looked like you remember you remember the dancing bear on the Captain Kangaroo show years ago. Yes, <laughs> he sort of looked like that, but he was a little a little bigger than a midget. And he's wrestling this great big huge guy, and they did a gimmick where the little guy 
kicked the referee in the crotch. And the guy sold it a little bit, and then they did a little high spot, and the referee goes down the count. Me and Scrappy sitting there watching this. And the referee went down the count. Now, the referee has got on black pants, a striped shirt, red suspenders, or, or not a striped shirt, he had a white shirt, red bow tie. I mean, he was, you know, and when he got in the ring, he was like climbing the ropes, you know, and throwing his hands up and stuff. But anyway, they do the little high spot after the kick in the crotch deal, and he goes down, and he, and he gets, he goes one, two, and when he goes two, he raises up, and he screams, and he hollers, oh, my balls, just loud as he can holler. Look, look, can I ask you a question? <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer. <laughs> you go out of every year. Who would even put such a thing on as that? These people, it, it, they put on <laughs> matches on Sunday night and Monday night. I'm asking you who allows such a thing. They, who, it's, the guy does it for free, so they don't stop him. Some of these people consider this entertainment. This the only crazy. question is, with with that little deal that they did, how many tickets did they sell for the next week with doing that no, little angle? It's it's free. <laughs> it's free. But, you know, anybody no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, it. can you imagine doing that back in our day? How many tickets would that have sold? Well, you got five. One. I mean, you wouldn't have been there, so it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> but, right. If I had done that... If I'd have done that in front of Ole Anderson, I'd have got my butt whipped plus fired. Yeah, listen, let me tell you about this little deal in Vegas now. And, and, and you know, I, the guy that puts it on, and I don't even know his name, he has to furnish an insurance policy to the hotel out there, naming them as an additional insured to, you know, protect them against liability, and he has to have liability coverage. God only knows what that costs for two nights. He has to furnish the ring. I have been told, and I don't know, but I've been told some of the guys that work on these two shows pay this guy for the for the privilege to work at Cauliflower Alley. Now, they're, Scrappy will tell you, I'm telling you the truth. They have anywhere from 10 to what, 15 matches on Sunday night and the same thing on Monday night? Yeah. That's and this consists of, they had a girls' battle royal out there. And they had some of the ugliest women you've ever seen in your life in this thing, and couldn't none of them work. It was awful. And, I mean, it's just, and all the matches look the same. They may have a different mask, I mean, a different color trunks or something on, but they, but they all do the same thing over and over and over and over and over. There was one match we were sitting there watching, and it was actually a pretty good match. The guys actually went out and, and somewhat had a had an idea of what they were doing. But that, that was the girls. It, you're exactly right. It was two girls. Was girls. It? Sure yep, was. There was girls. two girls went out and had about a 10, 12-minute match, and they used arm drags, and they used hammer locks, and I thought, look at this. And, and you know, but, yeah, it's it's really sad. It's really you know, what the scary, you know what the scary part of all this is? You sat down and watched it. Well, <laughs> right. Scrappy, now I'm right. Scrappy, he was right. trying to get me to leave. He did. He kept saying, y'all ready to go? You're and I told him, I said, this is like a train wreck. I can't leave. Because <laughs> I wanted to see what the next one was going to do that was going to be worse than the one. But I promise you, the little midget with the bear head on or whatever it was, that's the craziest thing I'd ever seen. 
he, this guy, the big guy was in the corner. This guy ran into his foot, what, five times before he even sold it. Oh, yeah. You know, and I thought, my God. <laughs> what you what you just said, Jerry, reminded me one night I was I was working in Atala, Alabama, and I was I, every I was working healing. Every time I would would do something, this guy sitting in the, in the audience would holler about how lousy I was and how sorry I was and all this stuff. Finally, I worked worked the guy I was working with over, and I took him over with a hip toss, and I was went down on the on the mat, and I looked at the guy, and I said. You know what? I'm getting paid to be here. You had to pay to come in, so who's the bigger fool? It's sad. It really is. It, it's so sad. And I don't know how anybody pays a ticket to watch any of it. I, I, honestly, God, I don't understand. I guess, you know. You know, you you feed somebody dog food long enough, they'll eat it. Yes, sir. Yep. Well, they just don't know any better. That's the ticket. You know. But yet they find what we did boring, because we don't do high, you know, forty-two high spots and one hundred and eighty-two false finishes. I and I, I know you being a referee, because you've you've refereed fairly recently. You know, within the last couple of years, Scrappy, it, that, that's got to drive you crazy with all those false finishes and all that garbage. Oh yeah, I, I know. Uh, I did one match a couple of years ago up in uh, Villa, uh, Villa Rica, and uh, they had so many. I, I told them, I said, "Y'all go down again? I ain't going down." <laughs> no. So do I Charlie Smith counts and, and use your foot and stand there and hold on the ropes and count with your foot. They 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 said come out with us. I said nope, I'm staying right here. I wouldn't go out there with them. I but stayed in the ring. I was down on the floor. I, I'm not I'm not person, following those guys. I wouldn't even be seen at one of those places. Yeah. I wouldn't even be so, seen. So. I probably have told this story. I don't. There was a guy. Ted Allen used to. Periodically, he'd get me a booking somewhere if a guy, you know, if he knew I could make a dollar or two. And there was a guy who ran a show during the state during the state fair in Macon, Georgia. At the the fairs is always at Central City Park down there, and the the the, the, the Macon Braves minor league stadium there. The guy was putting a wrestling match on in the stadium there during uh, the fair. So so Ted recommended me. The guy called me and he told me he said you know he said I'll give you you know. Hundred bucks, you come down here and referee for me. I said, "Well, I believe I can handle that." I said, "Who you got working?" And he named ten, twelve guys I'd never heard of. And then finally, he said, "The main event is the Nasty Boys that work for that were working for Turner at the time." He said, "They're going to work against Ted Allen and Ted Oates." Well, I hadn't seen Ted in you know for years. I said, "Yeah, I'll come down there and do it." So the day before the show, he calls me and he goes, "Bud, look, the referee—I mean, the guy's bringing a ring." Told me. If I didn't let him referee, that he wouldn't bring the ring. And he said, I can't pay you 100 but I'll give you 75 if you'll just come out here and do the ring announcement. I said, you'd have got a deal, partner. So they set the ring up on the on the pitcher's mound, and I'm sitting there only in a chair out where second base would be. And the first match came out, and there probably ain't 200 people in this in this ball stadium. 
And the first match came out, and within about three minutes, they are jumping off the top rope onto the field, going through tables. I mean, they're just doing all kind of crap. And I'm sitting there watching, and they're all over the infield fighting, you know, and I'm thinking, don't come over here and mess with me, you know. And the guy promote, is promoting the thing, come out there, and he, he, he walked up behind me, and he goes, what do you think? This is great, isn't it? And I went, well, I said, the only thing I've seen great so far is I'm not refereeing. And he said, why? I said, because I'd be standing in the ring counting while they out here doing all this infield stuff. And I said, the match would have been over about two minutes ago. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I, and I, and I turned around and asked him, I said, bud, I said, what's the next match going to do to follow this? And I said, when you get to the main event, what are they going to do, jump off the top of this place? And he didn't. Have, this poor fellow didn't have a clue. He thought he, he didn't know what he was talking about. Either. He had no clue. I, I, he, you know, and I'm gonna tell you something. Them guys in that, the, the two Teds and these other two guys, they wound up up in the bleachers fighting. And them two nasty boys or whatever they were, I, I never met them. They beat that them two Teds with with a folding chair on the back. I mean, it was just. Uh, it was. I thought this is insane. So as soon as the bell rang, I grabbed my little wife, and we went on to the car. Charlie Smith was with us. We went right on to the parking lot and came to Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, I one just, of those guys, the nasty boys, I can't remember which one it was. One of them was, was Dusty's brother-in-law. I, yeah. I, 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 I was never introduced <laughs> to him, and I didn't go out of my way to find out. Gentlemen, I'm know, it's getting, I was about yeah. to say it's getting be past you. Uh, you guys expecting uh, a big, big mob down there for the fourth? Yes. This is be a long weekend. Now, it being on a Tuesday, I guess uh, they're just going to start Friday, Friday night, and just continue on. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be long. Yeah, it's gonna be very crowded. Y'all do a big fireworks thing down there on the beach? Uh, yeah, they do it on the pier. Oh, okay. Yeah, they it's big. Well, you just stay out of trouble. I'm going to do that. Scrappy, you take care, bud. You too, sir. Nice talking to you again. Jerry, have a great fourth, man. Be safe. Be safe. Be good. You That's too, right. Jerry. Got the best job in the world. You ain't lying. He seems like right. down the beach on the golf cart. <laughs> Until they right, call him with an that. alligator. Till they call him with an alligator, they find him. <laughs> and then he just, he just tells them to call yeah. somebody else. <laughs> well, I think him and the fireman got the six-footer they found. But if they get over six foot, they call a trapper. <laughs> <laughs> and they said he found out he didn't like snakes and said they... Uh, uh, told him that uh, he uh, uh, they called him they hit him had a rubber snake or something told him he needed to go over to somebody's house and he went over and he said they had a rubber snake about six eight foot long laying there <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> good thing he didn't have Bob Armstrong with him oh mercy 
Who else? He was killed all kinds of rodents. Somebody else that was was afraid of snakes. Who was it? He used well, to dress the rooms up. Going back to Armstrong. Going back to to the the late sixties, early seventies. There was a guy here that worked as the Avenger. His name was Francisco Flores. That's who it was. Yeah, Flores. He That's was. Who it was. He, oh yeah. He, Flores and Armstrong were the two that were in the dressing room the night that they ran over. It was it was Jody or either Colton Spears. I can't remember who did it. They run over a snake on the way to Americas, and the dressing rooms in Americas were uh, they were just framed plywood. There was no top on it, and they just come in and throw that dead snake over the top of that over the top of the wall, and it, it, it hit the floor. They said it sounded like a watermelon hitting the floor, so it went splat. And it said the only two in there was Flores and Armstrong. And said that room looked like, it said that, that plywood looked like one of them cartoons on TV where the house starts breathing. He said that walls <laughs> looked like they were shaking. And when them two hit, they didn't come out the door. They hit a piece of that plywood and knocked it down and come out of there. <laughs> and uh, they said Flores ran out, out behind that building if you've seen that picture of me and the bear that's floating around with me wrestling with that bear, that was made behind that building. There was a big, huge field out there, and grass was about knee-high. And they said Flores was about halfway out in that field when somebody hollered at him and said, Hey, amigos, that's where they found the snake. And they said he looked like he was walking on top of that, that grass coming back out there. <laughs> you know, Spears used to – he used to – have a snake he cared with it. They worked an angle in Mobile around that snake. He had one here. It got away and went down a drain at the Passport Ho- the Passport Inn out there. Jeez. Yeah, they were working. He and he and Kelly got in so much trouble out there. <laughs> they were working in England, Mississippi, and, and finally Speedy Hatfield said. I'm going. I'm going to either shoot that snake or I'm going to shoot the two of you if you don't, you know, wind this angle up and and get rid of that snake. <clears throat> well, gentlemen, I'm going to have to call it a night, and I got to get up and go to work. Yeah, in the morning. I think we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to get ready here and get in my chair and turn on the Braves and see if. If they can pull another win out, they finally gave up on the uh, Bartolo Cologne experiment and, and did they get rid of cut today? him today? Yeah, they, did they? they signed did him they for desert or des- whatever it is. They did. Then, yeah, there you go. Well, so, I, you know, a uh, couple things here. I had mentioned to y'all guys about my son was having uh, knee surgery at uh, yeah, that's right at uh, Houston Clinic. The surgery was very successful. He is up and moving, and I appreciate all the good thoughts and prayers for him. And uh, I am uh, I'm officially gainfully employed again as a, a Saturday. I start my new job, so oh, good. So I'm uh, I'm excited about it. I wanted something to do to get me out of the house, and uh, it's it's part time, and uh, I'm gonna be dispatching for a for a transportation company. So uh, looking forward to it, and hopefully I'll be able to, you know. Stay active and busy enough that I don't uh, sleep my life away sitting in this chair. So yeah. uh, that's good, Bobby. Congratulations on that. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Congratulations. I, I just want to throw out Jody came you know, through okay too. Yeah, me too. I'm glad he did. And I want to thank everybody for the thoughts and prayers for me and Ann. You know, going through our uh, <laughs> surgeries and the heart attack and everything. And I'll keep everybody in touch of. Uh, 
what's going on next and and everything after the 11th uh, doctor's appointment. So, yeah, if he'd have had that thing while he was traveling with us on that trip, there'd have been a little red mark on the next atlas that came out. Scrappy's buried here next to Billy the Kid. <laughs> you know. All right, guys, I enjoyed tonight. Y'all, please have a great fourth. And uh, you too, uh, Scrap. Please let me know what the doctor tells you when you go back, sir. I sure will, and y'all, y'all take care, and God love you. And all right, well, thanks for doing the show with us, Crappy. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. All right, all right, good night, well, guys. We'll, right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Bye. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.